I want to speak to you this morning about a giving life. And, and here's a statement that I'm going to make. This is a, there are other statements like this that could be made about other things, but, but this statement I believe is true. We are never more like God than when we have a giving life. When we have a life toward a giving person, I don't mean, uh, I'm not talking about how much you give or I'm not necessarily talking about money. I'm just talking about just being a giving person. You have a giving life. I want to share with you this morning some words from Jesus. And as I read them, I want you to think about how they relate to you how they relate to a person who has a a giving life and whether or not you are that kind of person. Now, these are words from Jesus. These are instructions for life, and they really are instructions for a giving life. Luke 6, 27. But I I got a dead spot right here uh, uh, when I step into this. Uh, And let me just say this. Can you all address that this week? Okay, just address it this week because I've picked up right there and my my, uh, is it going to do this? Because if it is, I'm, I'm going to just stay right here. I don't, uh, do you think I'm okay? What about Larry? Happen on your, okay. So it's a reset of some kind, probably. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll deal with that. I drop, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's just use this microphone. I'll just stay right on this microphone. I won't move. And uh, can everybody hear me? Okay. I, I just, in fact, back it down a little bit. It's a little too hot up here. Um, and y'all forgive me for doing this, but that storm, you, you find things as it goes on, you know, you, you just, you find little things that you didn't in, uh, intend to happen. And this is one that didn't intend to happen. And so I'll just stay right here and, uh, and I'll preach from behind the, uh, the pulpit. So we're reading Luke chapter six. Now let's start again with verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, let me stop right there. That's a pretty good definition right there, a pretty good indication of a giving life, isn't it? Somebody that can do all of those things. Verse 29, 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those for whom you expect to receive... What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not. And you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. So let's talk about, first of all, developing a giving life. How do you have a giving life? And I'll probably say more about this as time goes on. But basically, we could probably categorize ourselves as givers or takers. Now, everybody, I'm sure, gives some and everybody takes some. But your general slant on life is going to be one or the other. You're either going to be a giver or or a taker. How do you become a giver? How do you become a person who has a a giving life? Well, there are a couple of things that are key. And the first one is extremely important. And that is to give yourself to God. Just, you just give yourself. Uh, Stewardship doesn't begin when we pass the offering on Sunday morning. When you pass the offering on Sunday morning and and the offering plate is there in front of you, and you, you reach in your pocket and you take out a, a tithing envelope as I do, or if you give online as many of you do, or if you put cash. Stewardship doesn't begin there. That's not the beginning of stewardship. Stewardship begins when we understand that we ourselves, all of us, our entire being <laughs> belongs to God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks to the church in Macedonia about an offering that they had given, and he talks to them about how they gave. It's very interesting. He says, for they, verse 3 of of 2 Corinthians 8, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Now, these people wanted to receive an offering. They wanted to be a part of an offering. But the reason that they wanted to be a part of an offering is because they had given themselves first. They had dedicated themselves to the Lord. They had surrendered themselves to the Lord. And so for that reason, they wanted to be part of this offering. And they they pretty much pled to be a part of this offering. They gave as much as they were able, the Bible says. But then it says they gave more than they were able. They gave beyond their ability. They they did this entirely on their own, pleading with Paul to have the privilege of sharing in the needs of the saints. They gave to the need, but they gave themselves before they gave to the need. And when they gave gave themselves to the Lord before they gave to the need, they were able to give to the need not only with a better attitude, but in greater amount. How could they give more than they were able? Because they declared him Lord of their lives. They gave themselves. When we come to the place of saying, okay, God, you are the owner of all of my life, all of it. And, And I will say this, as we get older, we have a tendency to realize that. We have a tendency to realize that as stuff on us falls apart. And we realize that that we have a, you know, that we, we came from dust and, and, and we, we start going back to dust and we can tell it. You, you reach a point in life where you're more sensitive to the fact that you're a created being than at other times. Now, I've always believed and known that I was a created being. But the closer that I, and, and the more that I hear of my, my friends and loved ones going to Beulah Land, you know, Ed Stafford and, and various ones who have, who have recently passed away, 
the more I realize that myself, that I myself will someday uh, pass away. But I won't be any more God's then than I am now. Because the Lordship life helps us or has us to understand that we are God's today. If you want to have a giving life, if you want to be a, a person that has a life that is fixed on, on being generous, if you want to be known as a generous person, then you start by placing yourself in the offering plate. When Christians never learn the principle of lordship, when they never learn the principle that God is the owner and the supplier of everything, when they fail to learn that, they can never rejoice in the opportunity to be a giver or to have a giving life. Let me give you an illustration. You take your children or your grandchildren to McDonald's, okay? We all recognize the golden arches. You, you place your order and you pay your money and <clears throat> you get what you paid for and you go and, and find a booth. Or if you're driving, you take it somewhere and sit down. And when you begin to take the stuff out, you realize that you failed to get fries for yourself. You just didn't do it. You didn't buy a combo and you failed to get fries for yourself. And so to your grandchild or your child, you, you just reach over and you say, hey, just a couple of French fries. And you, you start to take a French fry and suddenly a little hand stops you. and says, don't take my fries. Don't eat my French fries. Now your first thought is, your fries? I, bought, I brought you here. First of all, I, I mean, I earned the money. This came through my bank account. You, you can't do anything yet to earn real money. And, <clears throat> and so what I did is I put you in the car and as a treat today, I brought you down here and, and I bought you this happy meal and all I wanted were a couple of fries and you're not going to let me have fries that I totally supplied to you? Now, you probably won't go through all of that. You'll probably think it's cute. But could I say this to you? There are a lot of people that won't let God touch their fries. There are a lot of people for whom God has supplied everything. And when it comes an opportunity <clears throat> to be generous with God, they said, please don't touch my fries. When everything belongs to him and everything came from him. It's like I said last week, and, and I hope you wrote this down. If you didn't, this is something I hope you'll write down. If we have it, he gave it. If we need it, he has it. Very simple. If we have it, he gave it. If we need it, <clears throat> he has it. To, to have a giving life, a stewardship life, the first thing to learn is that we own nothing, nothing, nada. I am very grateful for the things that God has let me have in my life. I hope you are too. But I'm not so foolish as to think that those things really belong to me. Am I managing them? Yes. Am I using them? Yes. Do, do I... Uh, 
plan around the supply of the things in life? Yes, I do. But the reality is that all that I plan on and around and so on are belongs to God. Everything does. In that, we are all equal. Now, there may be people in this room who have more in in an account or more invested in a house or more in this or more in that than somebody else does or than you do. But in that fact that God is the owner of everything, you are kind of equal in that. God owns it all. There's nothing that you have or, or will have that God doesn't own. We are managing his stuff for our time on this earth. We are just managers. That's all that we are. If we die today, we take nothing because we own nothing. That's why we don't take anything with us. We don't own anything. Stewardship, a giving life begins when we understand that that God owns everything and we give ourselves to God. And then here's the second thing. We have to gain a biblical perspective. You have to look at a giving life from a biblical perspective. Now, when I'm talking about a giving life, I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just tithes and that kind of thing. I'm talking about having a truly generous life. The kind of life that wants to be a blessing to the, uh, the wait staff at a restaurant. The, the kind of, of life that wants to randomly for no reason do something nice, something good for somebody else. We want to have a giving life. For, for, I'm talking about the kind of life that rejoices when, when a windfall comes your way, not just in what this is going to do for you, but this is how this is going to help you to do for others. That kind of a life. And you need a, a biblical perspective on that. There's life-changing information in the Word of God, but it has no effect unless we apply it. The life of happiness and joy is found in the Bible. Let me show you something. Here's what Jesus said one time. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There are a lot of people that know what to do that don't do what they should do, and so it doesn't benefit them at all. For instance, there are a lot of us that know about being generous, and we know about giving, and we know about stewardship. We know about all of those things, but we don't do them, so there's no joy associated with them in our lives. In fact, I will say this, that there are people that when this is the topic of a, of a pastor in church, I mean, there's this, this groan within that says, oh, man, oh, please. I mean, it's a hard thing to sit through because this is just, some people, this is not their favorite thing. And, and let me give you, let me give you some, some hope. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach the last stewardship message that I'm ever going to preach to you for the rest of your lives. That's the truth. And you know what the title of it is? Stop giving. That's the title of the message. I've already got it ready. So next Sunday is the last stewardship message you're ever going to hear from me. But do you know why 
you, you must preach about stewardship. He said, Pastor Ray, why don't you, why don't you preach more on prayer and believing and love? And, and I agree with you, but let me give you a little perspective. Words like believe, believing, and believer, they're in the Bible 272 times. That's a lot, isn't it? Believe, believer, believing, 272 times. Prayer or praying, 371 times. That's a lot. What about love? Either love or loving, 714 times. I mean, that's clearly a priority on love and prayer and believing. That, that tells us that God places a priority on those things. Well, what about giving? You know the words give, giver, and giving are found 2,162 times in the Bible. Now, let me place that in perspective. That doesn't tell the whole story, but let me place that in perspective. The words, <clears throat> these, these words, give, giving, or giver, <coughs> they're in the Bible three times more than love. Seven times more than prayer. And eight times more than believing. Yet we find it a difficult thing to hear about it, much less live the giving life. To have a giving life, we have to give ourselves totally to God. And, to, and we have to learn and believe and apply the scriptural benefits of, of giving. We have to apply those from our lives. Here's the second thing. First thing is develop a giving life. The second thing is to want it, desire a giving life. Some people may not want that. I hope you do. Would you, would you rather be known as a giver or a taker? I've known a lot of takers. Oh, boy, I've known a lot of takers. I would never, never, never do it, but I could stand here right now and just list for you takers. Takers. I could also stand here and list for you givers. But there are a lot of people who are just takers. Do you want to be known as that? Do you want to be known as a taker? It's a step toward humility when we have a giving life. A giving life is humbling because it starts with having faith. We have faith when we are givers. Trusting God for our daily supply is of value. Every believer should know. Do you, everybody here has a GPS. Most everybody here, I would think, has a GPS of some kind. You either have a GPS. How many of you, let's just do a, a hand raising. How, how many of you either have a GPS on your car or you have a smartphone that has a GPS? Would you raise your hand? Uh, that's pretty close to everybody here. That's pretty close. All right, I'm going to give you a GPS illustration. The GPS of faith will not give you your arrival time. When I go on a trip and I use my GPS, it continues to update my arrival time. Arrival time, arrival time, arrival time. The GPS of faith doesn't do that. The the GPS of faith doesn't tell you about roadblocks that are ahead. If, If you have a GPS, a certain kind of GPS, and maybe you have ways on your smartphone, you can tell what's what's going on ahead of you. And and there's this is up here and this is over there. The, the GPS of faith doesn't tell you where the, the fueling stations are or the restaurants. In, in fact, the GPS of faith is more like 
the OnStar system in, in the GM cars. It's turn-by-turn directions until you get to where you're supposed to go. And the only thing you have to do or can do is just trust it. Now, if you're looking at it on your smartphone, typically you can, you can change the settings and you can see that, that uh, uh, where it's, it's taking you and you can actually follow the line of where it's taking you. The same thing with a GPS in your car, but on turn by turn, you're just saying, okay, I'm waiting for the next turn. I'm going to go until I'm told to turn again. It's turn by turn and it leads us along the path that God has prepared for us. That's the way we're supposed to live our, our lives. It's just by walking by faith and saying, okay, God, uh, I'm, I'm going along in this direction. If you have a new direction for me, show me the new direction. Tell me the new direction. And when you get to that new direction, you take that direction and you go in that direction. You say, well, I can't live like that. You have to if you're going to be uh, a good Christian because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. You, you have to do that. You say, well, I want, to, I want the whole the whole blueprint out in front of me, what is going to happen from now until I die. Well, then you'd be trusting the, the blueprints instead of the architect. God says that this is, this is a faith thing. This is why Jesus said for us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say give us stock in Publix. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's what the Apostle Paul instructed in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you want a giving life, acknowledging God and acknowledge God and ask him to meet your needs. And once we understand that God is the supplier, the owner, and that he gives everything, once we have faith in him, then we can become generous. We can be generous. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I just know that most of you want to be known as a generous person. Most of you do. You want somebody to know you as a generous person. And then we started off by saying you're, you're never more like God than when you have a giving life. Our relationship to God is based on what he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so we want to be like God in that regard. While I was working on this sermon, a family member called me. Not a son or brother or sister, but a family member in my general extended family called me and asked for advice because someone in his family who was not related to me, but, you know, like through father, through a different line, uh, someone died and he and another person were kind of in charge of that person's life. And the family member who called me had some questions about the will. And, and could I say this to, to all of us? Get a good will and keep it updated, okay? Get a good will and keep it updated. 
go, go spend whatever money it takes to have somebody draw up the, the right kind of will for you and get a good will and keep it updated because you never know. So anyway, he was asking me some questions. And it sounded as though he was being wronged a, a bit. And he said, I, I, I want to ask you about this. What do you, what do you think about this? What, what do you think I should do about it? And I said, well, it does kind of sound like you're being wronged. Um, but let me ask you this. If you fix this, how is it going to impact your relationship with the rest of the family? Oh, it's going to be terrible. I said, really? For how long is it? A long time. So you, you need to really think about whether or not getting what you think you've got a right to is worth it. And we get squirrely when somebody dies and we, we want and we grab and we this and we that and so forth and so on. We get squirrely about it. And, and we, it's revealed who has a generous life and who doesn't have a generous life. And he said, okay, that's why I called you. He called me the next day. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, you need to see this. And he sent me something by email. And I looked at it. And sure enough, I mean, he was, it was, it was not going to be the best thing. And, uh, but still, it's going to mess him up. It's going to mess up his family. It's going to mess up all the rest. And, and, you know, in trying to make sure that one particular person did what that one particular person should have done and not takes advantage the way that one particular person uh, appeared to be taken advantage, it was going to have to just turn the whole family upside down on its head. And I said to him, look, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to encourage you to go on Netflix and watch one more time the movie Frozen and let it go. Just let it go. Because sometimes that's the best thing to do. And if you don't let things, certain things like that go, and I'm not just specifically speaking of that, but that's a general idea and a general thought. If you don't let certain things go, they're going to grab you and haunt you for the rest of your days. At the end of life, we will live and leave with our rewards and our regrets. And most of the decisions we live to regret are not worth the scars that they leave behind. But if we've been generous, you say, what if I'm generous with somebody and, and then they don't use it the right way or they don't take it the right way? Or they don't, then that's on them. It's not on you. You did the right thing for the right reason. You'll never regret being generous, especially with God. Be generous with your giving. God blesses generosity. That's just a fact. You can make up your own mind about how he looks at those who are not generous. But I will tell you this. I would not want God to be looking at me as a kid that says, don't touch my fries. Now, before deciding against having a giving life, I want to talk about how to delight in your giving life. How would you, what would a giving life do for us? Well, first of all, we, we begin by making giving a, a priority. 
When we have a giving life, we see our material blessings from a spiritual and a biblical perspective. That focuses, that is a focus of life that doesn't happen until we follow these words from Jesus in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's what Jesus says. I, I meet your needs, but I want you to put me first in every part of life. Many believers want God to meet their needs without making him their priority. We, we do this out of fear and not out of faith. If we have faith, we will believe. And, and the last verse of our text, the last verse of our text says, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you again. <coughs> God gives to you and to me, and he wants us to voluntarily give back to him. He doesn't want to reach over for our fries. He wants us to pick up the fries and say, would you like some of these fries? I want you to have these fries. Please take these fries. What happens when we fail to do that is we're taking the, not only the privilege away from God supplying for our lives, even though he still does, we're taking the responsibility on our own. We're saying, I don't need you, God. I'm going to do, deal with this on my own. And the next time I come back to McDonald's, I won't need you to step up and order for me and pay for it. I'm going to do it all. But that doesn't happen. That doesn't work out very long. God says, your decision was to live without acknowledging my gifts to you. You couldn't or wouldn't trust me. You're on your own. I don't want to be on my own. I don't want to be on my own. I don't even want to imagine that scenario for Jan or for me or for my family. When I give back to the Lord, it's working with the one who is responsible for me. Have a giving lifestyle. Make giving a priority and then, and make it a lifestyle. Make it the way you live. Giving should not be separated from the rest of our behavior. We shouldn't behave in life and then stop and say, Oh, I've got to drive down this cul-de-sac because this is where I give and then come back up and, and travel on our lives. Giving is a part of our lives. It's a part of our lifestyle. Here's how Jesus teaches us to give. It says, Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what he's saying there? Giving is not just an action. Giving is a heart matter. If you're going to give, give from the heart and, and make sure that your heart is in a giving mode. In a giving mood. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. Well, of course. Our living should match our giving. Our giving should grow from our living. Giving is pivotal to how we live and should be the key to our commitment to God. And that's the third thing is make giving a key. In a parable about stewardship, Jesus makes this observation. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Not only does God bless us according to faithful stewardship, but he gauges how he can bless us by our stewardship. 
God knows more and God knows everything. And, and forgive me for saying this in human terms, but God knows more about you by how you, by your generous life <clears throat> than he does by how much Bible knowledge you have. Martin Luther said, when a person is converted, three conversions are necessary. The head, the heart, and the purse. The purse is the hardest. Here's the fourth thing. Make giving liberating. When we put God first, we cease to be enslaved. We understand that God gives and God takes away, and it changes how we feel about our stuff. God becomes our focus. So... We are free from feeling like that we are enslaved to our stuff. Are you enslaved to your stuff? Are you enslaved to your your bank account? Are you enslaved to money? I read a story where somebody was a slave to their money. It was a, a resort area and A pilot there had a biplane and he was advertising rides for $50 a person. He could take two people up for $50 a person, $100. And this this man and wife came up and, and they tried to talk him down to taking them both up for $50. And not $50 a person. You're going to be taking us up anyway. You're going to be flying it up. Just give us both the ride for $50. And, and they were pretty adamant about it. And finally he said, look, here's what, here's what I'll ask you to do. You give me $50 each. Go ahead and give me the $100. And I'll, I'll fly you up in this, this biplane. And if you can keep your mouth shut the entire time, then I'll give you your $100 back. They said, Okay. And so the pilot took the plane up and he does every kind of twist and loop and spiral and fall and dive. I mean, he, he flew that plane so crazy that he got sick. And he finally landed, never heard a word back there. And he said, here's your $100. I cannot believe that you didn't say anything. The guy said, I almost did when my wife fell out. I'd say he's a slave to money, wouldn't you? Get free of that. Don't be a slave to money. And make giving a test. That's what God's word says do. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. A giving life makes our faith stronger. God wants us to put him to the test. And he wants us to make giving a joy. And this is my last point to you. In 1 Chronicles 29.9, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know that we're any happier than when we're giving. You know why Christmas is such a great time of year? Because it's all about giving. We love to give. We're happy about giving. 
It's a tremendous thing. You know what the root word for miserable is? Miser. (laughs) The most miserable people in the world are misers. Carl Menninger said, generous people are rarely mentally ill. Martin Luther said, I've had many things in my hands and I've lost them all, but whatever I've put in God's hands, I still possess. If you want to keep it, give it away. If you want to lose it, hold on too tight to it. That doesn't make sense to us because we live in the world, but this is God's stuff. This is not world stuff. Jesus said, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I want to give you two quick illustrations, and we're done. First of all, in the early 1920s, a man gave $100,000 to the Methodist to build a college in Liberia, Africa. That same man lost all of his money in the crash of 1929. In the 60s, the college, that same college, started searching for the man who donated the money. And they found him on the south side of Chicago. They asked if he would come to Africa to see the school that he had built in the early 20s. And he didn't want to do that. But finally, after some persuading, he agreed. And he stood before the student body of hundreds of Christian students. And he began to cry. And he looked at the president and he said, the only thing that I have left is what I gave away. That's called having, casting our bread on the water and having it come back after many days. Much of Europe was in ruins and many Americans stayed behind to help them rebuild. A soldier was driving through the streets of Germany and he saw an orphan boy looking inside the window of a bakery. The soldier pulled the jeep over and he asked the boy if he wanted something from the bakery. The boy said yes. So the soldier went inside and he bought a sack of donuts and cakes and then brought it back out to the boy and gave it to him. As the soldier got back into the jeep, the boy walked over and he said, Are you God? We are never more like God than when we have a giving life.